He is risen. risen Amen. When Ryan approached me uh, almost in September to say what I fill in this week for him, uh, I looked at the lectionary hoping, just hoping I would have the road to Emmaus as a passage that I would preach from. Just hoping. It's my favorite. Please, Ryan. No. Then I said, well, maybe it'll be Peter and the fish on the beach. No. And he told me it'll be John 20. It'll be Thomas. And I said, oh. Because there's something very confessional about preaching about Thomas and the disciples gathered in that room the night after and the week after Christ's resurrection. Because I can't talk about doubt without talking about my own doubt. And I can't talk to you honestly and authentically about struggles and questions and those inquiries I have about my faith without somehow revealing something very personal. And there's no way that we can sit here and honestly say that we got it all figured out. The doubt does not ever cross our mind when it comes to our faith. That we live in a perpetual place of full faith, never questioning anything that ever happens. Thank you, Ryan. There's always lots of questions, and some of us are sometimes misinformed. Like the, the child who was approached by his, his pastor uh, at, uh, at the supermarket by chance meeting. And it was the weekend before, uh, it was the weekend after Easter. And the pastor said, so what have you been able to take from the Easter celebrations? The child looked up at the pastor and goes, well, I, I, the story about Jesus... Uh, coming in as a triumphant king on a donkey and all the palm branches. What a wonderful story. Pastor is pretty pleased. He says, what else do you remember? He says, well, I love the story of the Last Supper and gathering the disciples to wash your feet. Oh, the pastor started to kind of smile. He was a little excited. What else do you remember? Well, I remember the sad story of Jesus and the disciples going to Gethsemane and the tears and Pilate in the trial Pastor is very much beaming because he knew his Sunday school program was working. He says, what else do you remember? He said to him, he said, remember putting him behind a big stone. Oh, but let's hear the good news. What do you remember the most? That when they rolled the stone away, he came out and there were six more, six more weeks of winter. <laughs> it was at that time that the pastor started to doubt his own ability to teach. Do we ever have questions about our faith? Are we like Thomas, needing something more than just the witness of or the second-hand knowledge of our friends? Do we need to dive deeper into that to satisfy that quenching hunger to know and be known? A Hebrew word, yada, that I was introduced to just a few months ago is this idea of touch. To touch, not to touch just to have the tactile feelings of, 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 of having that sense, sensation, but to touch to know. Now, Yad in the Hebrew tradition also brings up a different connotation as well. As I touch and reach out to you, you reach out and touch, and know me. I want to suggest one thing today, that Easter 
is not a noun. Easter is a verb. You've been Eastered. Man, you Eastered that up. Jesus has got you right where he wants you, and he's about to Easter you. Let's pray as we start here. Lord in heaven, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength, my redeemer, and my rock. Amen. I have the privilege to look out today at some of you and uh, celebrate a special milestone in my life. 20 years ago this month, I came out to, uh, uh, to, to answer a call at McLaurin Baptist Church. And I'm looking at the Jaycocks over there, and they met me, I think, uh, that very first day in May of 1999. And I know the Fagnons were there, and a few others, Vivian and her kids uh, were there. As I came off the plane and uh, was met by, uh, by the staff at uh, McLaurin at that time, I was scared. I was scared, and I doubted my ability to be pastor in a very foreign place in a very foreign uh, culture. Uh, the Maritimes, of course, uh, is very foreign to you, probably. Um, but at that point, I went back and, and decided to make the call, I mean, decided to accept the call and, and move out here. Now, that's not really what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is maps. The first thing I went home and did was I went to what is sort of the equivalent of AMA, the Alberta Motors Association, got a whole bunch of city maps of Edmonton. And I decided that, you know, I want to study the place where I'm going to call home for the next little while. Now, you may be of the age where you quite remember doing something similar. For those of you who have never had the opportunity of trying to uh, look at a city map and fold a city map while trying to drive and navigate streets, well, that is one rite of passage you should be glad that you never have to worry about. But the truth is, those maps that I had 20 years ago when I first came out here, if I tried to pick those up today and use those maps today, they wouldn't be any good. For those of you who are under 20... Ask your parents about where the rat hole is. For those of you who are under 20, you may have no idea why the Anthony Henday is not on your map. Maps change. I'm sure you're aware of that. It's not the map that changed, just so we know. It's the terrain and the geography that changed. Someone's come in and manipulated or built or, or has, has changed somehow. You look for an overpass, it's no longer there. Oh my, what's that name of that road? Why do they call it the QE2 now? It used to be, what's going on? The frustration of getting lost in a city with only a paper map, lost completely, is again, a generational concern. I'm glad that GPS has served. Thank you, Google. It would actually, again, be incorrect to say that the map has changed. In fact, maps, they're pretty static. They don't actually change. What has changed, of course, is what's going on around us. Now, just imagine, if you will, for one second. We're not talking about locating yourself geographically. What if we're talking about locating ourselves existentially? We're trying to locate meaning in our lives. We're trying to think in terms of who am I? Where am I? What's going on in the world? How am I changed? What is, what is this thing called faith? And all of the questions that come 
with that sort of search for meaning and search for formation in our lives. Now, if we're going to be honest with you, it's not necessarily the tools we're using that change all the time. It's the culture in which we live that changes and is morphing and is different. I use that example of 20 years ago. I am not the same person I was 20 years ago when I arrived at the airport. And nor are you. Things change. Meaning can sometimes take on a very different shape. Now, I'm glad I have another teacher up here with Karen with me because I'm going to ask Karen if she could just wander around with a little picture here. Uh, And I'll come back to it during the the service uh, here in a little while. But this is from a book that I use uh, in my grade 8 classroom sometimes to to do some writing prompts. And um, it it helps some of my students uh, sort of envision what I'm trying to get at. And this is a book from Sean Tan. Some of you may know him more famously from The Arrival, uh, a book that uh, some of you may have read as children or used for uh, in your children's library. But this is from a a collection of three stories. It's called Lost and Found. But the story I'm going to uh, show you a picture from is called The Red Leaf. The Red Tree, excuse me. Karen, if you wouldn't mind. Now... I don't uh, want to get into the, uh, the story, but I'll give you the synopsis so much. And first of all, my family's up in the, in the, in the, in the balcony. You can look at it later. Um, but what I'd like for you to notice in this is a picture of a young girl stuck in one of those bottles that you might see a, uh, a ship sort of in that, uh, you know, at the fish and chips place around the corner. And she's wearing one of those heavy, deep dive helmets. She can see out. We can see her. But the author and the artist are trying to convey a message of, I might be able to see out, and you might be able to see me. But somehow I'm entrapped in my own place. And I can't navigate or negotiate my terrain. And as you see this picture, it might get that sense that we live in a very messy time. Where we can see out and we can hope that people see us, but at some point we are kind of trapped. Trapped by our own beliefs. Trapped by our own thinking. Now again, what I would like to to talk about is, many years ago, we might have had the tools. And some of us who are maybe a little older might have been able to negotiate and navigate this difficult terrain of of being kind of trapped in this, this place of existence. But things change. And we speak very real in 2019 about the reality of the world that was very different than it was five years ago, than it was 10 years ago. And how do we deal with doubt nowadays? When there is so much pressure, there's so much information, and there's so many questions that are produced that we need to really wrestle often with what is doubt. Now, I found this phrase in a book by one of my favorite authors, James K. Smith. Some of you may know him, uh, a thinker out of, uh, of um, Calvin College in, in the States, who talks about us needing to reorient ourselves to faith and faith formation. But he doesn't, he quotes and he, he comments on another Canadian by the name of Charles Taylor, famous for his book, A Secular Age. Now, Smith happens to do us a favor by writing a small treatise, a reader's notes, a reader's uh, uh, digest version of, of a secular age, because that book is 900 pages long, and it is very, very thick and dense. But what he tries to say to us is, we live in a time where we find this phrase so much easier to accept. We don't believe instead of doubting. We believe while doubting. 
Or more, better yet, believers are beset by doubt, and doubters, every once in a while, find themselves tempted to believe. So in an age we call our secular age, an age of indifference, we're different than we were 500 years ago. And the tools of 50 years ago don't work. And maybe the tools of five years ago need to be re-looked at and, 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 and retooled themselves. But it is our culture that we live in. And I would like to challenge you today to think in terms of those cultural movements in our own life that sometimes trivialize, sometimes invalidate, and sometimes take the transcendent Jesus and God away from us to replace them with arguments for logic and arguments for uh, uh, that, that, to, that, use, that use science inquiry to, to, to challenge our beliefs. And to ask you that question, seriously, what is faith? It is a messy time for faith. But it's not unlike that time in that room that was locked and those disciples gathered there the day after Jesus reported resurrection. So let's jump ahead to the, uh, let's jump backwards, back to the disciples who were there themselves ready to get Eastered. So we look at the disciples gathered, first of all, fearful, afraid, every crick out uh, of, of wood in their, in their, uh, in their room startled them and made them think authorities were about to burst open. The shadows that played on the wall were menacing Roman soldiers that no doubt were coming to threaten their existence. Everything made them jumpy. Looking around the room, these men were scared, but also extremely confused. Reports from Mary about a visit with a stranger in the garden. Peter and others talking about empty, rolled up linen, linen, uh, linen uh, piled in the corner of the tomb where Jesus once laid. And the questions of where have you taken my Lord still resound in that room. Afraid, scared, and confused. Then suddenly, Peace. Amongst them, Jesus appears. He's Eastered them. Peace I give to you. Now imagine, if you will, their surprise. And maybe you should practice what Don was doing with the children. Can I see your scared face or your afraid or you know, your, 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 your surprise face? Jesus appears and he does three amazing things. He first gives them peace. He talks to their fears right away. And then he does three other things. He notices that they also need to, to hear words of comfort. They need to be dealt with this, um, their, their cognitive dissidence. And, and the disciples need to be comforted. So what does Jesus do? They are in front of them, bright and vividly speaking uh, peace. Just as they had imagined he would, Jesus uttered these phrases. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Then he goes on to give them a breath. And he says, welcome the Holy Spirit. If this isn't enough, then he gives them the commission. 
I am sending you now out with the power to forgive. In a situation like this, there's only a couple of things that can summarize this. And and that is, what? (laughs) What's going on? I'm scared. I have my own scars. I can see Jesus as he appears to us. I can see his scars, but I'm that much more aware of my own brokenness. There's fear and there's fragility. But Jesus resets the minds of the disciples from their former orientation of meaning and how things were supposed to go to a new orientation of what's about to happen in their lives. They are about to become agents of peace, justice, creativity, and forgiveness as Karen prayed in the pastoral prayer. In this hideout, there is power. Despite the suffering of all the past days, they receive the message of peace and hope. That is all of them except for Thomas. Now, you wonder where Thomas was that night. Anybody just want to just imagine? Maybe Thomas was out walking the streets of Jerusalem, pondering his next move. Maybe he was doing something very, um, very selfish at that time, brooding somewhere in his home. But he too, scared and scarred by the events of the last few days. But yet again, he's about to be Eastered. The skeptic in the group hears of the events of that night. But he says to his fellow disciples, he says, unless I see see it for myself and I touch the scars with my own hands, I I choose not to believe. I won't believe. I'm not going to believe. Now, I think in some churches, this might be an easy sort of, Parouette to talk about apologetics and about the proof that demands, uh, the, the, the evidence that demands a verdict and, and those type of things. But I think here what we really want to talk about is fellowship. Because despite what Thomas says, he remains a disciple. And he remains with the disciples. And one week later, the resurrected Jesus appears to him too real amongst him and he speaks again of peace going straight to thomas he gives him the proof he needs without actually having to yada the wounds he can see for himself his doubts have been addressed and his doubts have been transformed to a powerful faith He kept on keeping on in the community. And despite his skepticism to believe that Christ was indeed resurrected, he encounters and experiences how his scared attitude, his scared ways are transformed into something something beautiful. He is a scared and scarred man himself. Who's whole, who sees in Jesus a holy aliveness that is more powerful than any human cruelty or fear of the last few days. So we learned something from that night about who, what Jesus intends to do to Easter you up as well. First, the good news is that Easter is not just for the brave. It's not just for the strong, and it's not just for those people who have it all together. Easter It's going to take any of those old maps that you have and show you the new terrain, regardless of the brokenness, the scared 
feelings, the scars that are there. It isn't just for those who have it all together. We are all flawed, like Thomas, like Peter, like you and me. Brian McLaren has this idea of what happened that night. He calls it fellowship. A belief that everyone matters. No matter where you are on this journey of authentic faith seeking, you matter. Everyone is welcomed by the resurrected Christ. And everyone is loved. No conditions. No exceptions. I repeat, no conditions. No exceptions. Whatever else the church is, it is first and foremost a place where we can all experience Easter's power. A community where everyone can take up their place. Jesus shows his scars and we start to realize that we don't have to hide ours. So fellowship for us, the scared and the scarred, for those who want to believe, but oh, sometimes it is so tough. When we come together, just as we are, we begin to rise again, to believe again, to hope and to live again. We start to get a new orientation to our terrain. We are placed in a new place and realize that God has lifted us out of any pit or mire that we may have formulated us or found ourselves in. And hopefully we will find gratitude and an awareness about the lives in which God has set before us. So we have strength for the new day. So what? Back to that little book that Karen passes. There is a passage at the very end of it. And the book itself, I'd like to read as I just, uh, sorry, I'd just like to read, but really emphasize the last little page. And I'm sorry that you can't see the pictures. They are marvelous. But I'll read you the story Sean Tan writes. Sometimes the day begins with nothing to look forward to. And things go from bad to worse. Darkness overcomes you. Nobody understands. The world is a deaf machine. Without sense or reason. Sometimes you wait. And wait. And wait. And wait, and wait, and wait, and wait, and nothing happens. Then all your troubles come at once. Wonderful things are passing you by. Terrible fates are inevitable. Sometimes you just don't know what you're supposed to do. Or who you are meant to be. Or where you are. And the day seems to end the way it began. But suddenly, there it is, right in front of you, bright and vivid, quietly waiting, just as you imagined it would be. I hope you can live in the truth. When you doubt and you live scared and scarred, that Jesus will be right there in front of you, bright and vivid, quietly waiting, whispering peace, just as you always imagined he would.